This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, your official Star Trek book and comics podcast here on the Trek FM network. And I'm so glad that I'm not doing this alone, because fresh from vacation is Dan Gunther. Hey, Dan, how was the vacation? I'm a little crispy, a little sunburned, but really excited to be back and really excited to talk about some exciting Star Trek books and comics again. Now I'm craving KFC. When you said crispy, <laughs> I thought of extra crispy chicken. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm not far off. I, you know, there's not 11 special herbs and spices on me, but I definitely did get cooked. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of cooked, Amy, have you been out in the sun? We've got Amy Nelson with us. Hi guys. Yeah, I've had a fun summer and took my books to read while I was on vacation, sitting out on the beach and the sand, getting in those sun. So what books were you reading? Uh, some amazing TNG novels. Q something or another, I think it is. Well, good like choice. Q-Zone? Q-Zone, yes, that's the one. You know, I'm so glad you said that because we're going to review Q-Zone on this episode. So this all works out great that you're here because now you can contribute to that review. What a what? crazy random That's... happenstance. Yes, that is crazy. I'm so glad that you guys um, have me back. I just love being on your show and talking and getting uh, my reading on. So it's good. Thank you, guys. Your hair looks lighter. Is that from the sun? It, it must be because, yeah, I was in uh, Mazatlan, Mexico and in Oceanside, California. So, yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Yes. I'm not. And Dan, you were in Mexico. I was in Puerto Vallarta. So, you know, not not that far away geographically. So. Right. Very cool. Wow, that's so funny. Earlier this week, I was in Texas. Oh, there now, we go. I know that's not Mexico, <laughs> but they touch each other. So there I was you close. go. <laughs> it's not Mexico, but it was. <laughs> I went to a Mexican restaurant. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess every restaurant I went to was by definition a Mexican restaurant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what they were serving, it's a Mexican restaurant because you're in Mexico, exactly. right? 
<laughs> I haven't thought about that. I could go to a Mexican restaurant in America and say it's an American restaurant and people will argue with me. No, it's not. It's Mexican. I'm like, no, but it's in America. <laughs> All right. So anyway, <laughs> we're not here to talk about Mexican restaurants, even though I would love to do that for an hour because I love Mexican food. But uh, we're like I mentioned earlier, we're going to do the TNG novel Q-Zone as part of our feature. And before that, we have our news. But also, I just want to mention that later in the episode, after we do the feature, we have an iTunes review and an email. And we're going to read those at the uh, near the end of the episode. So, you know, maybe, who knows, we'll get a review about our Mexican restaurant talk someday and, and we'll read that here on the show. That should be exciting. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to, like, this coming week because Amy and I are going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, so excited. So any, everybody look for us because we're just looking to have a good time. That's right. <laughs> Rub Find it in, guys. The Rub it in. Bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited for you guys. I really wish I could come this year, but uh, ah, darn it. Just so you know, it wasn't for a lack of me trying to be persuasive, <laughs> tying his arm behind his back, and he still said no. So maybe next year, Dan. Maybe next year. Okay. <laughs> For sure. You're stronger than me, Dan, because Amy convinced me to come. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you guys don't have to leave your country to go. So, I mean, you know. I don't even have to leave my city. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. There's no comparison. That's true. That's true. <laughs> she expects everybody else to pay to get there, and she can just walk on over. <laughs> right. I'm going to challenge you to Uber. come to the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo next year. That's what I... I yes, I saw your YouTube thing, of course, and I'm definitely putting it on a to-do list. It's it's pretty cool. It's funny because I made that video about, quote, small conventions. And then while I was making it, I was like, this is actually a pretty big convention at this point. But anyway, yeah. well, Calgary I Comic have an and Entertainment Expo. You should go. <laughs> I have an aunt that lives in in Calgary. So oh, cool. You've happen. even got a couch to crash on. Exactly. <laughs> oh, great. Now you guys are going to convince me to go to that. So. Yes! yes! <laughs> you totally should. It's great. <laughs> Hey, maybe we should move on to the news. Okay. Because <laughs> this is going to cost me some money if we keep talking. <laughs> and speaking of money, I always spend money on new books, new Star Trek books. And we have some news about two new books coming out. The first one is an ebook called I, the Constable. And of course, this is part of Deep Space Nine. This book is coming out. November of 2017, and it's by Dan's friends that he's met last year at Shoreleave, Paula M. Block and Terry J. Edmund. Erdman. Erdman. How does he say it? Erdman? Erdman, yeah. yeah. Erdman. So this is a pocketbook publication, 150 pages. Like I said, it's an ebook In the United States, the list price is $2.99. So if you don't read a lot of Star Trek books, or if you do and you don't have a lot of time, this book is a going to be a quick read 150 pages i'm assuming this is an odo book yeah i definitely think so with with that title of course i the constable and we know from the deep space nine series he was a big fan of those mickey spillane novels and of course the a really famous one being i the jury so i'm thinking there's some sort of tie in there and yeah really excited to to read this one i love these ebooks you know they're just a great length to kind of get through in an afternoon and you know, really enjoy a 
a Star Trek story that feels like a Star Trek episode. I can't help but think that Quark is going to have a big part in this because they really have been known to be writing a lot of Quark stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, getting some some Quark and, and Odo interaction, you know, stuff that you really miss from the series, right? So it's, I think this is going to be really cool. Yeah, something quirky. That would be really <laughs> great. So yeah, this is coming out on or around November 13th. We don't have an exact date, but it looks like it's definitely in mid-November. Amy, have you read any Star Trek ebooks? There haven't been a whole lot. No, I haven't. So now you know where to start. <laughs> uh, well, get me on a next gen and, and you, you got something there. There have been a few next gen ones over the years. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are quarterly uninvited was actually <laughs> one. And it was uh, it was Picard and Crusher's wedding and Q shows up. So that would have been right up your alley. Because we do know that Amy likes Q books. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, maybe you would like something a little more illogical because we have another book coming out called Search for Spock. No, this is not Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. This book is Search for Spock a Star Trek book of exploration, a highly illogical parody. And this is by Rob Perlman. Now, do you guys remember the Where's Waldo books? It was these books that you would buy. You open it up. There's several pages, but there'd be like a two-page spread that would be all these drawings of all these little people, like hundreds of little people. And you had to look for the guy with the brown glasses and the red and white striped hat and shirt. And that was Waldo. You had to find Waldo in the picture. Did you ever play with those books and, and look for Waldo? Oh, yeah. I had a stack of those books when I was a kid. And I think I had the wall calendar one year. I loved Where's Waldo. <laughs> yes, I did. I had lots of nieces and nephews, and they were and are very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty fun because you're looking, and when you look at the drawings and the little characters, oh, that's cute, that's cute. And then you don't only have to look for Waldo. They have lists of other things that you can find as well. Um, so... I liked him. Well, that would be the same with Search for Spock. So in this case, instead of looking for Waldo, you're looking for Spock. So think of the Where's Waldo books, but now make it all Star Trek. So as you're looking for Spock, just imagine all the different Star Trek characters and creatures that you're going to see in this book. And it says on the cover, it includes 15 strange new missions. And so we have an example on there, too. I mean, I, I, I've already found Spock. That was quick. <laughs> but I see Harry Mudd, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see that on the cover? Yeah. And a Gorn. Oh, oh, and uh, Bruce, your favorite green lady. The green. Orion. <laughs> the Orion slave girls. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, you know, it's funny. When I first saw this, I was like, ah, oh, that's cute. Ah, oh, how neat. And now I'm, I'm thinking back to where's Waldo and... and just imagining looking for Spock on these. Darn it, I really want this now. <laughs> I know, it looks fun. And it's not it, It's not just search for Spock, right? I assume not. With the, what did you say, 15 strange new missions and stuff. Well, yeah. Because it says... Strange new missions. Yeah. It says, yeah, activities and crafts. There's games and puzzles. There uh, there's parodies and stuff. I, I, I don't know if it's all just searching for Spock. <laughs> but I could have swore... I remember something a couple years ago, something just like this. And they had like 
I had to find like five Spocks in it. Hmm. And I don't know where I saw that before, but it wasn't in a book. I don't know where it was, but I remember playing the search for Spock. Maybe it was a test in like a magazine or something. I don't know. Hmm. But if anybody listening remembers or knows what I'm talking about, you know, write us in at what trek.fm slash contact and send us an email and, and let us know because I, I, I could swore I remember doing this once before or maybe I just dream these things <laughs> you're ahead of the times there Bruce well this book is published by Cider Mill Press it's 32 pages and it's coming out October 2017 and the US list price is a $14.95 hardcover so look for that towards the end of October and uh, spent hours and hours searching for Spock. Anyway, Amy, you know, you're on a podcast called Earl Grey. That's all about the next generation. It is. But you're also now on a podcast called The Edge, which is all about Star Trek Discovery. I am. So you must have seen episodes before we have if you're on a podcast about Discovery. So give (laughs) us the scoop. What's going on with Discovery? Well, you know, I have seen episodes already ahead of the game and but you know have signed an agreement that I wouldn't be able to say anything so no I'm just kidding I haven't seen anything you wish. <laughs> I know I do wish that would be awesome if they would let us podcasters in on the scoop you know beforehand that'd be cool a couple episodes back uh we mentioned about someone posting on Facebook about on Amazon in the UK it listed the new discovery novel coming out called desperate hours by david mack and in the uk it listed both paperback and ebook and all of a sudden the paperback was gone it was missing from the amazon uk page and so there was worry that maybe the paperback isn't going to be available in the uk well since then andrew who had made that original post on facebook got a reply from amazon uk confirming that there was a little error they corrected the problem and yes ladies and gentlemen you in the uk can get a paperback version of desperate hours thank you very much you're good to go excellent (laughs) (laughs) yeah this sort of thing i mean i think i mentioned it when we talked about it before, I've noticed this cropping up a lot, especially with the UK Amazon. There'll be like little errors. Uh, a lot of times the ebook won't be available and then it will and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's really good to see that they've they've gotten to the bottom of this and fixed that because, you know, like the authors have said when they come on the show, a book's, su- a book's success is really judged a lot by the pre-orders it gets before the actual publication date. So, you know, if there's a whole segment of the population that isn't able to pre-order that book, just physically can't do it, you know, I got to think that's got to show up on some ledger somewhere as, as you know, being in, in the negative for that book. So, you know, really glad that that this person was able to contact Amazon and get that resolved so that people could pre-order it. That's awesome. Absolutely. So that's good discovery news that we have. But Dan, we have other discovery news. There's more than just a TV show and a novel coming this fall. We also have what? Comics? Yes, that's right. We've got the the first details on the Star Trek Discovery comics, and they will be coming in October of this year. So the new series, it'll be titled Star Trek Discovery, and the first issue will have 32 pages priced at 3.99 US. 
and it's written by friend of the show, Mike Johnson, and Star Trek Discovery TV writer and also friend of the show, Kirsten Beyer. So really awesome news here. And then Tony Shastine, who has done art for Boldly Go uh, and other titles, is doing the artwork and the cover for this book. So really excited. The official blurb from IDW is kind of exciting too. There's not a lot in there, but there are a few little hints, which is really cool. So this is their blurb. Warp into adventure with this new comic book series that ties into the new Star Trek television show premiering in late September on CBS All Access in the US, the Space Channel in Canada and Netflix throughout the rest of the world. Details remain secretive, so we can't show you covers yet, but we can tell you that you won't want to miss this very special Klingon-centric series. Be prepared for action, adventure, and Star Trek at its best. So that's interesting, Klingon-centric. So it seems like they'll be focusing on the Klingons. Uh, maybe not just for that first issue, but it's Klingon-centric series. I'm wondering if the, the whole series is going to be kind of focused on the Klingons' point of view. I don't know. I, you know, if I knew nothing about Discovery, which we don't know a whole lot, reading this blurb makes me a little worried that Discovery's just going to be all about Klingons, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I don't really want it to be quite like that. And I know it probably isn't. I mean, I'm sure they have a big part of the storyline, but uh, maybe the comics, I guess I'm reading this, is going to focus maybe a little more on the Klingons than the TV show, but add a lot of background detail. Uh, to the characters that were going to be introduced into the TV series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we won't really know until we get it in our hands and, and can flip through it. But, you know, really excited for the really aggressive marketing they're doing with Discovery and kind of pushing things on all fronts. You know, the TV show, the book, the comic, all coming out around the same time. You know, it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, there are also some details for other series and comics coming out in October. So in October, of course, we get Mirror Broken issue number five of six. Uh, and we get Boldly Go number 13, which is subtitled Idic. And it has a really interesting cover. I don't know, Bruce, if you've clicked over to that link that I've included in the show notes. Uh, there's yes. a cover art of Captain Kirk I'm really not sure what to make of this. It's kind of split into a bunch of different segments. Yeah, it's like different faces. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering... Like General Chang from uh, Star Trek VI, it almost looks like with the eye patch. Mm -hmm. The rest, I'm not even sure. It's almost like above the eye patch, almost looks like Khan from Into Darkness. Khan, ah, okay. To me. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I think we've got the Silver Surfer in the bottom left. I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, at first I thought maybe that was something to do with Jayla. Yeah, because of the facial marks. Or sure. remember the beginning, was it Into Darkness with the people? Oh, that was yellow. Oh, wait, no, they yeah. were dressed in yellow, but their faces were white. Oh, right, the kind of pebbly face yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting. It almost looks like... Uh, Chris Pine's character on the far left, he played in Wonder Woman, which I can't remember his name right now. Steve Trevor. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. His version of playing that character. I guess because so, of his little five o'clock shadow. Maybe. 
It's those eyes, those blue eyes. It's definitely Chris Pine, and it is a fabulous photo of him, or (laughs) drawing. (laughs) I was on a plane one time in first class and didn't know he was on the plane until I was getting off, and this guy across the aisle as we're waiting to get off is just like looking at me, and I noticed these eyes, these blue, I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'm like, it's Captain Kirk. (laughs) No way! So I hid my Star Wars novel I was reading at the time. I'm like, of all times, I'm always reading Star Trek. This one time I'm reading Star Wars. No, can't let that happen. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. I love all these covers. And you know, the the Mere Broken, we should have episode, not episode, issue three out here soon. And we wanted to cover that with Amy while she was on the show. But I know, I think, I'm so uh, disappointed. We'll have to see. Maybe we'll just kind of review them all together when when they're all finished coming out, and we'll see how that works. But yeah, the, you know, we'll definitely keep our eyes open for issue number three coming out soon. And by the time you guys listen to this, it may already be out, so you're already ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And one last issue for October is another New Visions comic. Uh, what pain it is to drown is the title, and it looks like we've got a sunken USS Enterprise underwater. So. Why do you think it's sunken? You know, the know. Enterprise can go underwater, Dan. Well, apparently, according to <laughs> the Kelvin timeline anyway. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> no, no, yes. I love it. It's fine. <laughs> I thought this was a, a image of the Enterprise in a glass of Sprite. It kind of looks like it. There, there, there seems to be a lot of carbonation around it. <laughs> Yeah, or a club soda. I'll have a club soda with a dash of Enterprise, please. (laughs) The Enterprise is trapped in a bottle of Zima. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody remember Zima? Anyone? Anyone? Yes. Yes. Where did that come from, Dan? (laughs) It was just, you know, clear beer. Why, why Why was that a thing? And why is that no longer a thing? Anyway. Well, we should probably move on before our listeners' eyes roll out of their sockets. (laughs) That's right. So we're going to go on to our feature where we're going to talk about Q-Zone. And uh, we'll talk about most of the book. I wouldn't say there's spoilers, but um, we'll save like the more spoilers towards the end of it. But I think we're pretty safe since it's a middle book. We're not going to reveal too much. So, yeah, let's go in because Amy's read it, right? I have. Let's do it. Okay, so now we're here in the feature, and it seems nice, cozy, and warm in here, and I like being in the feature area. But this, as I mentioned, is the middle book of a trilogy of books. So last time it was Q, I don't even remember, space. what was it? It's Q Space, thank you. Then now it's we've got Q Zone, and then the third book will be Q Strike. Right. Is that the third book because three yes. strikes are out? Oh, good way to be. remember that. And maybe number two was zone because uh, I don't have anything on that one. So anyway, <laughs> so let's jump in this book um, by Greg Cox, by the way. And I just have to say what annoyed me the f- with the first book annoyed me in the second book, too. It starts off with a star date of five zero zero one four six point three really 
Really? A six-digit star date again? This, what is up with that? This is basic stuff, people. I mean, I know Star Trek fans are known to be a very forgiving group who don't obsess over small details. And, you know, you can probably just let stuff like that slide because, you know, Star Trek fans don't really care about the, the really tiny nitpicky things like that. But darn it, come on. <laughs> I'm lying, of course. Star Trek fans care about this stuff. What's going on? Why are you destroying my Star Trek? But hasn't it been discussed <laughs> that star dates, that they're not linear, that they're not... There's no... <sighs> I'm just, you know, if, it, if, it, if the star dates don't really have any meaning except for just to say this is a day in history, then what's an extra digit? No, I'm just kidding. I'm a math teacher. Digits matter. <laughs> well, we're here in the year 20,017. I mean, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> no big deal. Or I wondered, because this takes place at the edge of the galaxy, maybe they have to adjust the star date because of the location that they're in. I, it, it's such a stretch. I know. Hmm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll just ignore it. Again, it's uh, I think it's, you know, somebody fat fingered a digit in there, a zero. It should be like 50146.3. It was nil again. There you go. He's inserting himself again. Ooh, yeah. I like that. So the star date isn't the real star date. It's been adjusted because nil inserted himself into the date. That's right. <laughs> okay, so nil is a zero in this book. So Oh, he is. Yeah. What? So since we're Math talking teacher. about him. Yeah. So remember, well, if you do, uh, last time I was on and talking about um, Q space, we saw the character zero in the book. And so I think all of us agreed that we called him zero as we were reading it. And then it wasn't to like the very end of the book when he referred to himself as nil. And so, but it was interesting this time. So now as I was reading it, almost from the get-go, um, it says when you're reading it, it has zero and then nil next to it. So now in this book, he was nil to me. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Did you make that switch or were you still calling him zero? Yeah. It's I, was, I was going with nil Yeah, for the same mm -hmm. reason you said. Yeah, yeah just, it's kind of one of those things. I originally had zero stuck in my head. So I, I think I was kind of going back and forth, like kind of, oh, yeah, no, Neil, right, you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it, Neil didn't stand out with me in the first book, but in the second book, I wasn't sure if it was because it was mentioned earlier in the book or, or if it was because we discussed it in that prior episode. But Neil stand, stood in my mind as the name, Neil. I keep wanting to say Neil. Because I know several Neils. <laughs> <laughs> and now when I see a Neil, I'll probably call them Nil, and I'll really mess things up. The threat to the galaxy. Behold the scourge of Neil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now that's going to be in my head when I read book three. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nil is a bad influence on our young Q, because in the book, we have older Q with Picard looking back at a period of time almost like a Christmas carol going back. And instead of seeing Picard's life as a young lad, we're seeing Q's life as a very young lad, like billions and billions of years ago. And Nil is really the bad friend that you don't want your kid to ever play with. 
he is just a really bad influence and Q seems to want to help certain species along in these tests that they're conducting on a cloud of species or a planet of species or whatever. But Neil always seems determined to really distress this race of beings and doom them to fail, to reach failure in whatever they're trying to do, trying to survive. That's not good enough. They've got to fail. And in Neil's mind, if this race is passing the tests that they're conducting on them, well, then they're cheating and they must be stopped. So he challenges them more and basically puts them in a situation where they can't win and they're basically destroying themselves. But Q, on the other hand, he wants to see them succeed. But at the same time, if he doesn't go along with what Neil, see, I said Neil, if he doesn't <laughs> go along with what Neil is doing and testing him, then Q himself feels like he's failing his test with him. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, you had some questions about that. You were about the Q mind versus Neil. Yeah. So, you know, we see with the, and okay, just. This book has more words in it that I can't pronounce. Uh, I just read over, okay, that's what it means. Because you're a math teacher, not an English teacher. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) the the civilization that they're working, that they're testing, quote, unquote, Tikhon, is that? Or is the T silent? (laughs) No, it's Tikhon Empire. They're from season one of TNG. Uh, The Last Outpost was the... The episode, the first Ferengi episode, which might be why it's blocked from your mind. (laughs) There you go. Oh, I don't remember. Understandable. Okay. Yeah, it's okay not to remember that episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, so we get uh, Neil telling Q, well, now here's your chance. This is a great civilization. And so what are you going to do to test them? Oh, and it was hilarious. He So what Q does for his first little test, he sends down, I could just see all these tomato-type fruits. That was so funny in my mind, just <laughs> raining tomatoes, you know, rotten tomatoes, ripe tomatoes, whatever, splashing everywhere, and this poor civilization. I mean, what would you think if it was just raining tomatoes? That would be so bizarre. And so Neil's like, um, no, that's stupid. That does, what is that? Well, so then Q is having to defend himself and like, oh, well, in his mind, he's thinking, well, that's not good enough, you know? And so I better do something to impress my friend over here, Neil. And, um, but yeah, so what, what is Neil, what do you think is, makes a fair test that the civilization ends in destruction is that what he considers fair and then so why does he even call it a test is he calling it a test just to get q to be more involved i feel like to me nil is you know the kid with the magnifying glass next to the anthill or oh my gosh i was gonna say that yeah. Well, oh my gosh, we're thinking so much alike on this. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's he's the bully who, you know, trumps up these reasons to do what he does, but in actuality he's just cruel and he's capricious and and just awful. <laughs> you know, he's he's the kid that pulls the wings off flies and and you know, 
puts you know starts by putting little barricades in in the way of ants so they have to go around it and then just ends up killing them kind of thing like he's just he's just a bully basically i yeah, in my and, mind as i read and this. so with q like he would be the one to put you know a barricade or whatever but when the ants go around then I, it seemed like q was satisfied and yay they passed the test mm-hmm. yeah exactly whereas you know that's not I think, you know, the line in, in the book is, you know, this isn't a test, this is blood sport kind of thing, you know. Um, and that's all that that Neil's interested in is just causing destruction and chaos wherever he goes kind of thing. Yeah, and tomatoes aren't good enough. It it doesn't cause enough destruction and chaos. It's kind of like a softball to them. It's, it's cloudy with a chance of tomatoes. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's like Neil is the kid that's, takes the good kid along down the street to go play and have fun and has some eggs with him and throws eggs at a house. And the other kid's like, Oh no, I, I don't think we should do that. That that's not, that's not very nice. We shouldn't throw eggs at houses. Oh, come on, come on. Everybody does. It. It's fun here. Give it a try. And he influences the other kid to throw the egg, the good kid. And all of a sudden that kid's hanging out with a bad crowd and throwing eggs at houses and toilet papering houses and whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't know why Nil has to be so bad in doing these things unless the power that he has has influenced his decision-making. He can't seem to rein in his power. He abuses it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, and I mean, it's a very common, it's an old story. You know, we've, we've seen this play out in lots of different mediums before I'm reminded of, just off the top of my head, the Simpsons episode from way back when where Bart starts hanging around with Nelson and, you know, Nelson gives him a gun to shoot at a bird and Bart's like, Oh, I don't want to shoot at a bird. So he, you know, aims away from the bird, but ends up shooting it because according to Nelson, the gun pulls a little to the left. Wow. You're awesome. You got him. And Bart feels awful. You know, that, that kind of reminds me of this, you know, the, the quote unquote good kid falling in with the bad crowd and, yeah, it's it's an old story, sadly. Well, and I don't think that uh, Q ever asked what is the purpose of testing the civilization. And so without knowing the purpose, you know, Neil could have one. Now I said it, Neil. Neil could have, <laughs> you know, one purpose of destruction and, and the civilization while Q is thinking, well, we're going to test them and to see if they or can go beyond, you know, what, where they are now and to help them grow. Like Q's purpose is to help them grow and to expand their thought knowledge. And, you know, while Nil is saying, uh, let's destroy them. And so I don't think that they really discuss the purpose there. So Q is just going along blindly following. Well, you know, we're talking about Nil doing something bad, but according to like what Dan was saying, the analogy of the magnifying glass with the ants, we don't really think twice about killing an ant. I mean, my kids see a tiny spider in the house and daddy, kill it, kill it, kill it. And, you know, I kill it. I don't think twice about it. It's almost like because we're a certain higher power in a sense than I guess than these little insects. And so, you know, if is it really a bad child to kill an ant and encourage another kid to kill an ant 
I mean, I don't think if my daughters came home and said, Daddy, there was this boy on the playground. He had me step on an ant. Am I mean? Am I a bad girl? I'd probably say, no, you're no, you're not a bad girl because you stepped on an ant. So from the perspective of Nil and Q, is it really bad from their perspective to do what they're doing? It may not just be anything. To us, it's something because we relate to those races and species getting abused. But to them, it really is nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly Q feels some sort of remorse or pangs of, you know, ooh, I don't, I don't know if this is right exactly. But your analogy is pretty good. I mean, the Q supposedly and, and Nil are so high above humanoids like us that it would be comparable maybe to us and ants or us and, I don't know, a field of deer? I don't know. You know, like, there, there's definite, there's definitely a... a, a an order of magnitude difference possibly. And I know I'm using that term wrong there. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's like, where do we draw the line? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's, yeah, we stepped on an ant. We don't, you know, beat ourselves up for it, but you know, then you get to, well, animal cruelty and, you know, endangered species, you know? And so where does that line come into play? You know, I mean, if mm-hmm. they're going to wipe out the entire solar system of the Tacon, you know, that's pretty significant. That's endangering a species, you know. And so, I don't know, it, there's, do you value the different species and the differences there? Or is it just such a lower form of life form that it's an ant? Mm-hmm. And And to extend the metaphor a little bit further, too... You know, if we if there were a group of kids and this this happens, you know, going around the neighborhood and capturing pets and torturing them or mutilating them like that is something that's considered horrific to us and is, you know, often used as a sign of like some sort of psychotic behavior, you know. So, you know, maybe the, you know, humanoid species aren't on the same level as as Q, but Q's reaction seems to be that that's maybe the kind of level that it's at, you know, people going around and and killing or harming animals for sport, which, you know, depending on the context, we as a society have either said is okay or not okay in various situations. And, you know, I'll I'll leave it to the philosophers and, and people higher on that level than me to to sort out the right and wrong of that. But you know, that's maybe kind of more what I'm bringing to mind than, you know, the ants and the anthill kind of thing. Considering what we're saying about Q and Nil, do you think this story makes Q seem a softer character to you now than he did before because he's not abusing the power in such a way as Nil does? I I think so. I mean, the thing about Q is, and especially later on, he came across more as you know, kind of actually doing what, what Nil was saying he was doing is testing us and that sort of thing. And there, there always seemed to at least, you know, in the end be a sort of purpose towards it, especially if you take all good things as like the culmination of the trial of humanity and all that kind of stuff, you know, there, maybe there is some sort of altruistic soft side of Q, uh, 
you know, Picard maybe early on saw him as we see Nil here, you know, just toying with humanity to get laughs. But maybe there's something deeper to it than that. And maybe he's, you know, not as sadistic as we might think. <laughs> um, I might have to disagree. I think when we see Q in the series, especially TNG, like, I think that we do see him wanting to help humanity, even from the get-go. I mean, offering Riker powers of the Q, you know, it's like, look what you could have. Expand your mind, you know. So it, it seems like Q's purpose always was to help in his weird way, to help us to become better, to think outside of the box, you know, just explode your mind, you know, with these new ideas. Um, so I don't see him as changing my perspective in the, in these books. I see him uh, being just actually more like us because he's falling into this peer pressure of Neil and, and the gang there, you know, and trying to fit in and trying to please others when you're like, well, if you're omnipotent and all-powerful, why do you care what other people and other entities think of you? So I think it made him more uh, human, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gave him more of a humanity to to him. To him. And, and, you know, you're not necessarily born evil, and I'm not saying Q is born evil, and he's not evil, but he definitely is influenced from the peer pressure he's getting from nil when it's testing humanity and other species. He just, just doesn't go as far as nil does and maybe wanting to just destroy the hum the species or humanity, but to just play with it. And maybe Q would never even get involved with humans at all if it wasn't for nil and nil kind of opened that door to him. So there was that influence from him. So you got the peer pressure on the one side in this story but there's kind of like this B story also in the novel about bad parenting. So we go from like, you know, bad friends to bad parents in, in a sense, because we have the professor Lem Fowl who's on the enterprise and he's really not a very good father to his two children. He brings them along as he's doing these experiments of wanting to go into the, uh, the barrier on the outer end of the galaxy here. And he on is so on the ed <laughs> the edge, <Ooh>. yes. <laughs> that would make a great name. Podcast plug. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hmm. But he's so consumed to see his project to completion because apparently this will help him to achieve some immortality or something like that. But anyway, he's he and his children are betazoids, and his son Milo eventually reaches out to his father telepathically so his, his dad comes into the guest quarters that they're staying on the enterprise and the two children are there playing and he barely acknowledges them barely talks to them he goes into the other room and finally milo's just got to a point i think he's what around 10 years old or something like that in the book and he reaches out mentally to his father next room and is like you know dad we need you help and his father just closes that mental connection. He puts a wall up. I thought how much that destroys a child when he finally reaches out to his dad and says, we need you. And he just closes them off. He's so self-absorbed. 
-hmm. and what he's trying to accomplish. And not only Milo, but the little sister, she was crying. And he still, I mean, to turn away a child is dad, 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 you know, but a crying child that's your own, that's pretty harsh. That's, you know, and so, and I think they sort of play it off as, well, it's his sickness, but is it really? I, I don't know. Yeah, this is definitely a character that I had a really hard time with while reading this book. And I mean, you know, I've been really lucky. I have two parents who who love me and, and they're awesome and they've always been there for me. And I, you know, know that if I need them, that, you know, they'll be there in a heartbeat kind of thing. So, yeah, I had a really, uh, really hard time with this character and just immediately like dislike of him and and uh yeah it was it was hard to read like it was i i had a really hard time figuring him out kind of thing and i mean you know he is under you know some influence and that sort of thing especially you know once the enterprise makes its way into the barrier to avoid the calamarine but at the same time you know that that seems to have been there already and oh it's ugly i i, I really hated that I was curious because, you know, when basically people on the Enterprise D, like Deanna, she's, you know, part empathic. Um, And so to have these full-on Betazoids on the ship, I'm surprised that she wasn't more in tune uh, with Fall and more specifically his children because, you know, Milo and the kept reaching out and searching for his father and that she wasn't aware of that. I mean, she obviously was very busy at the time, but I, that was sort of going in the back of my mind. Like, you know, as a counselor, you don't want to turn away anyone who's in pain or suffering. And obviously these children are, um, and I found that either very good of her to stay focused on her task and, and her job for the enterprise or, oddly weird that she wasn't more sympathetic to the kids yeah i kept expecting troy to show up and take an active part in this but exactly uh, you know i guess maybe we'll see that in the third book because i'd be surprised if we didn't see that i know dan has read these books more than once so he probably knows the answer so don't give it away my lips are (laughs) sealed (laughs) So yeah, it it really what is driving this man to just ignore his kids and 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 I want am wondering Dan like you're saying is it the influence from whatever is on the other side of the barrier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this is obviously a very driven man and very I, I I feel like maybe there's some sort of allegory to made be made here. You know, people who are so focused on their careers or their work that they ignore their family or something like that. But it's just, it's to the nth degree here. And it's, oh yeah, it's hard to read because I I really find myself sympathizing. I can't say empathizing because I've never been there, but definitely sympathizing with these children. And I just, oh, like not, not even my own children. If I saw two kids suffering like this, I, I, my heart would just immediately go out to them. So, oh Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tough. My um, brother on my mom's side, I saw him when he made that switch like Milo did and just give up on his father. I saw my own brother go through that with his um, father, and it broke my heart. I mean, mm. I will always remember that, and I'm, I'm scarred a little bit because of it, because of what 
this man did to my brother. And it's it's harsh and very, very sad. I don't want to cry about it, but yeah. Oh, that's okay, awful. Well, well, we'll try not to have you cry on this hey. episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of crying, let's go to something a little more merry. We've got some not-so-merry men in this episode. <laughs> so, Nil pulls out these, I don't want to say he pulls out, but he encourages the guardian of forever to release these three entities coming out of the guardian of forever. And one is named Gorgon, who is a silver haired humanoid with a green aura. And I thought, okay, yeah, I've seen stuff like that in Star Trek before. (laughs) And then this other being comes out, which I can't say the name because it's not written in any kind of language. It's two parentheses with an asterisk in the middle. And it's this shimmering sphere that we eventually find out that feeds from hate. And I'm like, oh, I know something like that. And then there's Hmm. the one who emerges in a pillar of fire and initially comes out 50 meters tall. And and he's got a flowing white beard. It almost sounds very godlike. And even when he's referred to, it was like with a capital E, is it like, like God or whatever. So it, I'm getting some reactions just from you guys' faces as to <laughs> these characters. And I'm, I'm trying to feel like, I, have we seen these before? Yeah, they seem very familiar, don't they? Well, watchers of the original Star Trek series, of course, will know that the Gorgon is from, and <laughs> in the outline, I have to say, you know, Amy, you may be a math teacher, but I was an English teacher yeah. and I used a lot of alliteration here. The absolutely abysmal, awful, atrocious, abominable, appalling episode, and the children shall lead. The single worst episode in the history of Star Trek. Arguably, but not really arguably. <laughs> um, the Gorgon was that, you know, that shimmering green guy that was played by a lawyer, not even an actor, uh, who uh, encouraged those kids to sing rhymes to summon him and killed their parents. And uh, it was awful, awful episode. I can't believe they pulled this character out of that episode. And Greg Cox actually made him interesting. I I, had, I have no idea how that <laughs> happened, but apparently, yeah. <laughs> so Amy, you had a reaction about the parentheses. Yes. So if you listen to literary Trek. And Dan mentioned, I can't even remember what episode you were talking about weird names and you're like, yeah, and I have even read this name and it's just an asterisk. So I don't even want to try and (laughs) pronounce that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is in the book. So I made a connection there to what you had mentioned previously. (laughs) Yeah, this, this book. And uh, of course we had the doctor's orders that used a semicolon at for yeah i mean it's things you can get away with in a book because your mind can just kind of gloss over it while you're reading and you know whatever sound or non-sound your brain makes while you read it but you know now we get on a podcast and talk about the darn thing yeah (laughs) what are we supposed to do but and this entity didn't even have a name it's of course from the original series episode the day of the dove it's the little spinning light that made the klingons and the and the kirk's crew fight each other with swords on the enterprise to generate hate and uh 
the planet in that episode is Beta 12A. So if you look in the Star Trek Encyclopedia or Memory Alpha, this is simply known as the Beta 12A entity. <laughs> well, when I was reading it, you know, and I saw the asterisk, I went straight to the bottom of the page saying, okay, where's the footnote? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the early Star Trek novels used to do that. I mean, really long time ago. They used to refer to other novels and episodes, and they'd have the asterisk, but they haven't done that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember the comics did that a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah, no more asterisks, but we have that in this book. So, yeah, that was kind of fun when, when these beings appeared. It's like, wait, wait a second. I think I know who these are. So, that was pretty fun. So, they're in Neil... Neil, not Neil. <laughs> they're in <laughs> Neil's little band of brothers here, and they're causing all kinds of crap going on, you know, just, just messing with all the ants of the world. So now let's go back to this Takan Empire that Amy was talking about before, because these entities do try to mess with that society. So we have Cleve, Cleve, I don't I, I I don't know. Just just bear with me now when I try to work this name out here. <laughs> Glevi, I'm going to say Glevi because it's written like Levi with a G in front of it. Glevi Utsov. Sov. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as good an attempt as I would be able to make as well. <laughs> I'm just going to call her Glevi because I like the sound of that. So <laughs> Glevi is an empress of the Takan Empire. And the problem is that their world may get be destroyed because their star is going to go nova. It's going to blow up and destroy their planet. So they now have come up with a technology that they can remove, move that, that sun out of the way and bring in another younger star to serve as their sun, which is very impressive. And even Q's impressed by this. And so, okay, well, we're going to test these guys out, right? Because we test everybody out, no matter how good or how bad they are. So they the band of brothers or the three stooges along with Nil come in and try to cause all kinds of stuff going on or whatever. And the Empress, this moving the sun is called Project the project is called the Greater the Great I'm sorry. The project is called the Great Endeavor. Okay. So at the same time, we see another one of these outer worlds associated to the Empire called Razam, and they refuse to pay taxes, and they want to break away from the Empire, and they shout things like, down with the Empress. At the same time, what is really encouraging the crowd to get themselves all revved up is Gorgon that's basically whispering in their ears of, yes, you want to break away. Yes, you do not want to pay their taxes. He's like their subconscious talking to them. So what are your guys' thoughts about this part of the story and about these societies and, and the empress and, and this Takan empire? Well, personally, I loved the world building of the Takan empire. I mean, this is, you know, this great empire that's mentioned that, you know, died out, you know, some years ago. It's you know, this abandoned planet that they find in uh, in the last outpost in TNG. And I, I just love that just from that, you know, Greg Cox is able to build this society. And it's it's interesting, you know, I, I really like the characters. I like the what they've been able to build. And, you know, this idea that they're going to literally move the heavens, basically. They're going to you know, swap out their star for another one. Like that's, that's really cool. What an interesting idea. 
and you know the thing that you know the inciting incident that's bringing them down gorgon i loved how greg cox used his character in this way you know i never thought of you know that being you know a staple of his character that he incites youth to rebel against you know the older generation which is what happened in that episode and the children shall lead but it was really interesting interesting to see it on this you know planetary this empire scale kind of thing it was really cool also just to pop back i should also mention the third member of their band of brothers do you recognize where he's from the star trek 5 the final frontier the god in quotes at the center of the galaxy this the one creating disasters of biblical proportions (laughs) yeah i forgot we didn't cover that but yeah right Mm. so god he's this the the flowing white beard one the one that they call the one in the book yeah god in quotation marks (laughs) but yeah no i i love the takan empire I, i thought it's and that's, again, I, I say this a lot, but it's one of the great things about the novels is they can take, you know, just a few throwaway lines in the TV show and really create something out of it. And the Takan Empire is really cool. Like, I would have loved to have been a citizen of the Takan Empire, you know, had what happened in this novel not happened. <laughs> yeah, but which planet would you want wanted to live on? That's I found that interesting, too, because, like, they had the main planet and then you know the outer planets and they were rebelling and it sort of made me feel like you know taxation without representation type of thing I mean they were just being taxed and they're not getting the benefits and blah 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 and you know all your typical political complaints you know of the system you know but I liked um you know because they were having all of the what Neil was doing and everyone and and it goes through what 60 years spread time something about yeah yeah. about that and so then the empress you know finally comes to this realization that yeah maybe her being this empress isn't the best thing and tries to stop all of these wars and what's been spreading because of the gang bandits over here and you know, she says, let's just get the sun, this great endeavor, let's finish that, and then I will step down. And I thought that's, you know, pretty darn impressive to can contrast. Here she has this power over, you know, basically an entire solar system, and she's willing to give it up for the to save her society and her power there. And then you have the power of the Q and Nil where they are exercising their power to the nth degree, like you talked about. I'm so glad you brought that up, because I was thinking of that earlier. It's like, now we see someone who has power that's not abusing it. Yeah. Mm. You know, and that she does have sympathy for her own people, but maybe it's because they are her own people and not some other species that she looks that are lesser than her or themselves. I mean, it's kind of scary to think that intelligent life can look down on other intelligent life just because they're less advanced or they're smaller or, or whatever reason. But I mean, we're getting close to some spoiler territory now as to what happens with this society and, and how they react to everything. But I, I, at this point in the story, I started to get a little bored. 
it's almost like the way Amy started off like, oh, it's your taxes. It's the same political stuff. That was the part of me that was just like, oh, yeah, here we go. And but I will tell you that once I got further in the book, it really enriched the society for me. So the impact of what happens later was there. And what I really loved was the scene uh, towards the beginning of the storyline with the Takans was the Empress and how she started off her day and how she would get up in the morning and she didn't want help from from her assistants or or servants or whatever in the in the morning. She could get out of bed herself, take care of herself, go to her desk, read the stories, prepare for the day. And it plays out this long scene of her doing this. And I guess that's the point where I was just kind of like, okay, this is kind of boring. And eating her honey. And eating her honey. That was very interesting to me. But okay. So why was the honey very interesting? I just thought what a weird insert into the description of her day. And that every time, you know, it started with her young and, and, being a young empress and then, you know, jumped 50 years, 10 years, you know, 60 years later, and that she was still having that honey. And that at the beginning, you know, she was hesitant to eat it because it was a rare commodity. And then, or was that at the end? But I just remember her, it, it showed that she had compassion because this honey was a treat. It was rare. And so for her to be enjoying it, she almost felt guilty, especially at the end, eating it. And I, I think it just showed her compassion for her people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and that scene, when we see her 50, see her 50 some years later, the scene plays out almost the same way. She gets exactly. out of bed. She's needing help from her servants. I was like, Oh, this is so cool. You know, yeah. it's like that scene that I was bored with earlier is now like one of my favorite scenes because of this reason <laughs> we see yeah. her day play out almost the same way it did 50 years earlier. And like you said, with the honey. So I really enjoyed it by that point, but in the first like few chapters of the society and the taxes and everything, it just wasn't doing it for me, but Things change as you go along through the book. I guess that's the intention, right? (laughs) (laughs) So they basically are starting to pass the test because they're getting ready to move this failing sun out of the way. And it looks like things are going well. But no, Nil can't have that because... And Gorgon can't have that. The All these guys can't have that. So Gorgon actually takes his hand and reaches into the sun. And young Q is trying to stop him. But the other entities are holding him back. And, and Q's just fighting him. No, don't do this. You're going to destroy them. And basically, it's the same thing. They're, they're, they're passing the test. So for Gorgon and the others, well, if you're passing the test, you're basically failing the test because you can't. You can't pass our test. You always have to fail. So we have to step in and do something. And I really like the Empress at this point because she always suspected that there had to be some powerful alien being who is testing them. I thought that was really interesting that mm-hmm. here's a society that, from what I can tell, hasn't had any interaction with powerful alien beings. Yet she has to figure that everything that's been going on had to been influenced by something else. Yeah, it was definitely a really interesting turn. And I, I love that. Like over the course of this, basically the last half of this book, like I really start to fall in love with this this empress. You know, she's a great leader. And what happens is so completely, totally unfair. It, 
it makes me think of like, you know, those kids that just cannot stand to lose at Monopoly or something, you know, like when the other guy gets Boardwalk and Park Place and you land on it a couple times and then you flip the board because, you know, oh, you know, this is stupid. You're cheating, blah, blah, blah. I can't, yeah. you know, that's what these guys are doing. They're flipping the Monopoly board <laughs> and that's that's what happens. You know, like you said, we're getting into spoiler territory here, of course you know, they destroy the entire empire and, and Q is aghast at this. And it, it really, the, the work that Greg Cox did in the world building of the Takan empire just totally pays off here because you as a reader, or at least I, as a reader was absolutely devastated to see this entire society wiped out. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not unexpected, we know that they're they no longer exist by the 24th century but still just to see it happen and how just arbitrarily it happened is just so devastating well and i think when you say well when we first meet the empress like she's waking up going through her routine and she has this feeling intuition whatever you want to call it that well, something's not quite right. And she checks with her generals and gets the news for the day. And, you know, and so from the beginning that we meet her, we see that she has this intuition. And it isn't until 50 years later that she does finally figure it out that there's got to be someone, something out there, bigger, stronger, more powerful than us that's testing us. And it's at that point when Q's like, yeah, that's so again, it's just reinforcing what we know about Q. It's like she made that mental jump to come to that conclusion. And so she's stretching her mind and thinking outside of the box. And so in Q's mind, that's the test and that they pass. And but we get a glimpse of that a little precursor or what is it called? Anyways, yeah, a precursor with her having that intuition you know, at the very beginning when we meet her to getting to the final conclusion that there must be external forces at play here. Yeah, and of course then, you know, the Takan Empire is destroyed as the sun blows up. And I thought was really chilling is what Nil says to Q. He says, pretty soon, Q, it won't bother you at all. Mm-hmm. Now, to be insensitive to this happening is not the direction you want to take somebody and especially something as powerful as Q is. So, you know, Dan, of course, you've read the third book before. Are we in for a real roller coaster here in this next book? Is it going to get <laughs> kind of scary? <laughs> uh, I, I shouldn't say anything. You guys should just read it. You know, Man. The... <laughs> hey, you guys get to go to Vegas. <laughs> I, I get this. Let me have this. Now we're being tortured by Dan. <laughs> Neil has infected him. <laughs> well, I guess with the third book call, called Q Strike, maybe that does imply something bad is going to happen. He's striking down on something. I don't know. I, anyway, I, I won't. But the last lines, huge spoiler now, the last line of the book is, it was the beginning of the first Q war, dot, 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 Any thoughts on that? first. So that first means there's multiple. 
Well, more than well, one, as, I guess. I mean, as fans of Voyager would know, they had a, a little civil war there for a while that were sending off supernovas and stuff. So, you know, might just, would that maybe be the second Q war? I don't know. But Well, I think we get a, a glimpse of this, like when the female Q comes back for a visit and talks to Q and you can see the division right there. And she's like, dude, what are you doing with these hooligans? You know, mm -hmm. you don't need to be doing this. And he just gets so defensive and arrogant. And we know Q to be very arrogant and don't say I'm doing anything wrong. And so he's just defending, uh, you know, Nil and those bands of bandits there. And so there is that separation, I think. And, but isn't this the same female Q that we see him? So that's why I'm like, well, they can't part ways here. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. there might be a little uh, happening in the next book. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that part really rang true for me. I mean, how many times have like you been in an argument and either the other person was wrong and they knew it or you were wrong and you knew it, but you just get defensive and you start, you start digging in and, and entrenching your position and that kind of thing. And that argument that they have really struck me as Q knows he's wrong. He knows yes. everything that's, that's going wrong and how horrible it is and how bad it is and how it makes him feel. But, you know, damned if he's going to admit he's wrong, you know, you exactly. just can't do that, you know? And it's, it's, it's another tragic thing, you know, because there's so many times in, for example, rewatching old television shows that I've seen a million times or, or movies and, you know, some main character is making a decision and you know, that decision's going to change everything. And you've seen it before, you know how it goes, but you're just willing at the screen for them to make a different decision. And, you know, that's how I felt reading this for the second time here was, well, third time here, I guess, was, you know, Q, don't, you know, come on, like, don't do it. But no, he's, he's got to, he's got to make his decision and go through what he goes through. Yeah. This is like him. The, he's growing up. He's going through puberty, Q puberty at this point, And he's just kind of puberty. Yes. And so that's, you know, it's a growing age book type thing and you know i feel our listeners feel the same way dan because you know you're right all the time and i'm wrong and they're like oh why is bruce going down the <laughs> wrong path again i wonder the same thing myself no <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that's true at all no i think you're right <laughs> oh see you're right again oh darn okay yes <laughs> all right so Okay, since Amy is our guest host, I'm going to ask her for her final thoughts and rank and rating of this book. All right. Well, I um, really did enjoy this book, and it, it was a little slow at times. Um, again, it had some words that I just couldn't even pronounce. Colocic. Oh man, I swore I was going to say it correctly. The new, the previous name of the Calamarine. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that you know how to say that? Name. Okay, oh, Kula Lacritus is how I'm saying it. 
Anyways, so yeah, again, and so it sort of snapped me out of the moment because I would have to stop and like sound it out, you know, and so those things that was a little annoying um, for me, but I did enjoy the story. And as we discussed, obviously, almost an hour's worth, um, very good themes uh, in this book to take away. Um, so I'm going to give it, uh, three out of five galactic barriers. All right. That sounds good. Dan, what about you? Well, I, I really enjoy this book as well. I, you know, the middle book of a trilogy sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap because, you know, it, it, it's, it kind of that middle book lull. But I actually found this one to be a little bit more attention-grabbing than the first book was, for me anyway. I, I really loved the world-building of the Takan Empire, as we've discussed. And, you know, its ultimate fate is really tragic, all the more so because of it. And I love the fact, and I'm kind of noticing a pattern here, Greg Cox pulls things from bad episodes and makes them good. So we get the Takan Empire from The Last Outpost, we get, you know, quote unquote, God from the final frontier, which, you know, let's let's be honest, not the best Star Trek film. Um, the Beta 12A entity, that's actually from a good episode, but the Gorgon is from just the worst episode. And he brings them all together and creates a good story out of it. Like, how does that happen? I don't understand. But I really like where he takes the characters in this book. And for me the true draw of this book was what happens in Q's past and that whole thing. The Enterprise and the Calamarine, it almost seems to be just kind of, you know, holding position a little bit. Like, it doesn't really advance the story forward a lot. We get a little bit, like you said, with Lem Fall and his children and that sort of thing, but it kind of seems to be just kind of put a parking brake on it until the next book because, you know, we really want to focus on what's going on in the past. That said, I really enjoyed it, and I think I would have to give this one, I'd say, four falling tomato-like fruits, but, you know, on somebody who really, really wants them, so it's a good thing. Someone who loves tomatoes. Exactly, yeah. That wants to make some spaghetti sauce or ketchup out of it. Perfect. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I'm probably falling a little more in line with Amy on this one. Uh, it's like you said, Dan, it's like it's the middle chapter. I, I feel like the first book was was fairly strong. This one, it didn't I didn't have as much fun with Q as I usually have in Q books and, and as much fun as I had with Q and the female Q in the first book. We didn't get a whole lot of female Q in this one, but I felt like this was a good bridge to bring us into something that I think is going to be really epic and good in the next book. At least I hope so. Um, so it wasn't that I didn't like this book, but I just felt like it was setting the stage for the last book. And because I said about the Takan empire, I was a little bored there. So, you know, there was, it was good, but I'm, I'm definitely ready for the next one. Um, so I would say I would give this, three nils into a long star date. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> if that's even possible. <laughs> that's good. I like that. 
So I think, you know, we're primed, we're ready for that third book. You know, we talked a little bit about the middle book lull, but, you know, I, I, I can't wait to get all of us back together again to really wrap this series up and talk about Q strikes. So, you know, some, some good things are going to come out of this. You know, maybe we didn't all like the book equally, but we all got to sit around and talk about it, which is a lot of fun. Yes, it is. And I'm looking forward to next time. But it that just means it will be my last time on Literary Tracks. No, we'll find we'll find many more excuses to get you on. We're not done with you yet. <laughs> There's plenty of TNG books, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. I already know of one book we are definitely going to have you on once we schedule it. And I think you remember what it is. Okay. Yes, I'm not going to say it because I don't want anybody to start going, when are you going to do this book? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm on excited, the round man. table um, that you guys hosted, I think it was last month, that book was yes. brought up quite a lot. So Yes. Mm, that, that's okay. your tease right there, right? <laughs> I think I know what we're talking about now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it on the other side of the page. <laughs> well, and if you listen to Earl Grey, you, that should give you a hint to my... <laughs> my uh, sign off phrase <laughs> yeah which by the way i'm glad you mentioned the round table so we dan and i hosted the patreon round table here on trek fm was it the july yeah it was the july one yep. um so it was the most, one of the most recent ones and we were talking with amy and others on well amy were you on that you were there yeah you just said you were no, or, I listened no. to it. Okay, yeah, that's right. I was recording Earl Grey at that same time. So okay, I gotcha. Because yeah. I remember, yeah. So you know, we had like I guess ten of us on there, and we we're talking about Star Trek books. So if you want to hear a bunch of Star Trek fans talking about books for a little over an hour, check that out. So, um, and then in our next episode, episode one ninety nine, we're going to be reviewing Star Trek Preserver, the third book in the. Shatner verse of mere universe stories, which I had never read that one. I read the other two, but for some reason I never read this one. I'm already into it and it's pretty interesting. So excellent. <laughs> There's just so much to talk about, isn't there? Ah, oh, I mean, you know, what a wonderful problem to have. Let us never run out of Star Trek books to talk about. <laughs> exactly. And it, of course, it's been fun talking with you guys and about Q-Zone and other things here on the show. But it is, you know, it isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. After the captain's documentary, I think we all wish that there had been a piano in Cisco's quarters. And at some point in every episode, someone walked in and he was just over in the corner <laughs> rambling away. Warp 5. And there's a wipe from right to left in the screen. And you never see that on Star Trek. It completely pulls me out of the episode every time I see it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Because I've, I've never, never noticed it. Yeah, I didn't notice it. Ever. Now I'm going to see it. Man. Okay. You just ruined the entire episode for everyone listening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The 602 Club. That's a really smart idea uh, because that's also something that, you know, Caesar sees is that we're not that different. The Ready Room. As with so many places, they CBS and marketing the show and getting it out to as many eyeballs as possible. 
They're obviously wanting fans and armchair fans and maybe would-be fans, genre fans who might give Star Trek a t- But they're still trying to get out to the great unwashed and the mundanes. And, and this is actually stretching the season out beyond 15 actual weeks. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And if you have the time, leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. Yeah, and we have some uh we have an email and an iTunes review we want to go over, but before we do that, uh Amy, you've got to run. So tell us where people can find you. Well, Again, thank you for having me on the show. And you can find me on the network hosting, co-hosting Earl Gray with Richard and Lee. And I love showing up on the Babel Conference. So you can find me there. And I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And what's the other podcast you do? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm also co-hosting. It's so brand new. I'm not used to saying it. I'm also a co-host on The Edge, uh, which is a podcast about the new Star Trek Discovery series starting soon. So, yay. Super excited for that. And that's with Mike, Aaron, and Brandon. And I've just listened to the first episode, guys check it out. It's great. It's really cool. And it's only going to get better as we get closer to Star Trek Discovery. So awesome work on that. Yeah, there's a few out there. So there's there's plenty to listen to already. Oh, yes. So yeah, thanks, Amy. We enjoyed having you. And uh, until next time, we'll see you when we talk Q-Strike. Yay! Yay! <laughs> thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Well, it was great having Amy here, but I do want to move forward then to these reviews. But before we do that, I want to mention Patreon because we always mention Patreon because it's so important. Because if you'd like to help us keep all these shows coming to you each and every week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patreon Zone. I'm sorry, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So let's move to this iTunes review here. And the title of it is So Happy I Found This Podcast. And this is from Irredeemable Shag. And they. <laughs> Sorry, that's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And so Shaggy, that's my nickname for Shaggy says, I've been a fan of Star Trek novels for over 30 years. It was such a pleasure to discover this podcast and hear these guys discuss the books I enjoy so much. Great conversations, banter, and interviews. I'm working my way through the back catalog of episodes and love each one. If you enjoy Trek books, you must listen to this podcast. Well, Shaggy, I couldn't agree with you more. That's the reason I started listening to this podcast when it first began. (laughs) And so thank you so much for that review. 
Yeah, great uh, glowing review. I mean, man, how how can you not feel good after that review? That was, wow, thank you so much. Oh, and it's five stars, so that's good. That's the max you can get. That's more than we <laughs> gave the novel we just read. Five stars. <laughs> that's the most stars. <laughs> So now we also received an email from one of our listeners. Stan, do you want to read that one for us? Yeah, we got a, an email from Brian Dotry from Louisville, Kentucky. I apologize if I've brought up a touchy subject among Trek fandom, but I wanted to ask your opinions regarding fan fiction. I include not just fans who write stories about relationships between characters, but fans who write the types of general stories you would find in the novels or in the anthologies. How do you regard the writers, and is fanfic something you encourage, discourage, or look the other way on? A second question I had for you, if you would be so kind to address, is the future of the Strange New World series. Is there any possibility of a revival or not? Thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate it and your podcast. Well, thank you, Brian, for those kind words. First of all, fanfic. Um, I personally have enjoyed some fanfic over the years. It's, it's not something I've really dove deep into but definitely not something that I personally discourage. I mean, actually, some of the Star Trek writers got their start doing fanfic. I know Una McCormick actually published some fanfiction before she wrote, uh, you know, professional Star Trek novels. So, I mean, I, I encourage creativity in any form out there. So, you know, fanfic writers, yeah, that's great stuff. I, you know, the more the merrier, personally. How about you, Bruce? What are your thoughts on fanfiction? When I first started reading Star Trek novels in the early 90s, I couldn't get enough Trek. Even to this day, I can't get enough Trek. I would go to the local conventions, Star Trek conventions in my area and pick up fanzines because I wanted to read more stories. And, you know, sometimes there was some good stories and sometimes there wasn't. And I saved all those for a while. As a matter of fact, I even joined a club. I didn't write any stories. It was a club where you could write stories or just read them. And I just would receive a copy in the mail every month of this club that was writing short Star Trek fiction. And again, it was like hit or miss. So I, I moved away from fan fiction because I never knew what I was really going to get. <laughs> so <laughs> I sticked with more of the professionally published licensed material. And I don't really read fan fiction all that often, unless someone points out to me, oh, this is really good, mm -hmm. you should read this, this, is good. Then if there's a recommendation for it, I'll go there. But I definitely encourage people to do, you know, if you like to write and this is your creative outlet, please, yeah, do Star Trek fan fiction. And, and you know, even the the uh, video content we've had online with the different fan films have been great too. Some of those have been totally awesome. There's oh, yeah. great stories in those too, so. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, regarding the Strange New World series, I think the line that we've typically gotten from Pocketbooks has been, you know, if this latest one they did for the 50th anniversary, if it sells well, uh, it, there's the possibility of more. I don't personally know how well it's done. Uh, that would be actually a great question, and we'll add it to our list for when we hopefully get Margaret Clark on sometime in the future. Uh, to kind of ask about the future of that series. I love Strange New Worlds. Um, I'm, I'm slowly making my way right now through the 2017 one because, you know, I kind of want to save the stories. I'm reading one every once in a while kind of thing. So, you know, I would love to see more of those. I, I miss it coming out year after year and the 
kind of thought in the back of my mind that I might maybe one day sort of think about possibly writing a story for it, but that never happened. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't wait for that. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, yeah, Dan, have you ever written fanfic for Star Trek? Um, I have just nothing, nothing that I've put out there, but I've written some short stories and stuff uh, when I was younger and every once in a while, I, I jot down some ideas that I have and that kind of thing. But I, I've, I haven't done anything like that in quite a long time. And definitely not anything that I've put out in the public for anyone to see or read or find or anything. So, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I started something a long time ago, but I probably wrote the first scene of the first chapter. And that's as far as I got. So I haven't really <laughs> done anything since. But yeah, it, Strange New Worlds. It looks like we're not getting that this year. Of course, we had the one from last year. And like you said, Dan, I, I like to kind of spread it out. I'll read a story every once in a while. And I actually just finished last year's one like a, a week or two ago. Mm. Um, so I I don't even think Pocketbooks probably has an idea of when they yeah. would do one. But, you know, hopefully in 2018, maybe, it, maybe it'll be a every other year type thing. Never know. That would be really cool for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that email and, and thank you, Irredeemable Shag. I just want to see that, say that name again for the, uh, the iTunes review. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show or any of the episodes we've done in the past. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation, of course, is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to us as well. You can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you can find us on our Goodreads group where we have a bookshelf with all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you can see what's coming up for future shows. Plus, you can join in on the great conversations happening there about the books and the comics. So just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shamatala for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for literary treks as well. So Dan, when you're not dropping tomatoes on people, where can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K E R T R A T S. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Kurtrats productions, facebook.com slash Kurtrats productions on Instagram at Kurtrats 47. And you can find me of course, in the Babel conference talking about Star Trek. And Bruce, when you're not encouraging the Guardian of Forever to bring your evil posse over from some alternate universe, where can we find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast at StarWarsReport.com. And you can find me, of course, around the Trek FM network. I appear every once in a while and I'm coming up on an upcoming episode or two of The Edge. So check that out. And uh, you can find me in the Babel Conference. I'm always lurking in there. So love talking Star Trek books online and on the show. Just, you know, it's great because years ago I had no one to talk to when I would read these books. But now I do. I'm so happy. <laughs> I suspect a lot of Star Trek readers out there know your pain, and I feel it too, and I'm so happy to 
to have literary treks and both back when I was a listener and now on the show to talk about these books. So I, I feel you, Bruce. I feel you. Absolutely. We all have each other, right? We're all into this together reading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thanks everyone for reading and listening. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.